0: Hey everyone, I am Farah Kimji, and you are listening to the Futura Talks podcast. I believe the future will be built by those who see opportunity where others see uncertainty. It will be built by people that don't look like the traditional leaders of our past, but by women and individuals from diverse backgrounds that see the world differently and who are driven to make it better for all. This podcast will feature these people, self-made leaders and entrepreneurs that defy odds and are motivated to build a better future. We will also share practical advice for how you can unlock your full potential as the leader of your own Futura. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Today's episode features Monica Yarasonic, the co founder and CEO of Ratio City. After 15 years of working as an architect handling millions of square feet of mixed use development, Monica was searching for a better solution to mock up designs and create efficiencies in the city planning and building process. Monica, along with her co founder Aaron, saw an opportunity to harness technology to create a data driven solution for city builders that would be accessible and transparent. I met Monica three years ago and was immediately impressed. As someone who was familiar with commercial real estate development from my previous roles in the industry, I understood the need for her solution, but also why she was the right person to tackle the problem and deliver on that solution. Her drive was so evident and her vision clear, and now, three years later, Ratio City is trusted by some of Canada's largest REITs, real estate developers, municipalities, and land use professionals. And Monica and her team are poised for the next wave of global expansion. Monica's story is very inspiring, and I'm excited to be able to share it with you on the show today. So let's dive into the conversation. Monica, thank you for being here excellent i'm excited to
1: be here and looking forward to our chat
0: yes so so let's start out uh, about learning about you when you were growing up what were the aspirations of seven-year-old monica in and maybe even teenage monica
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, so i grew up in a small town in the niagara region um, and i think as a kid so you know seven-year-old monica Favorite things were, uh, were playing with Lego and, and building ports. And so I think that the theme there was I always liked building things. This idea of, of imagining something and then to actually see it come together with whatever you happen to have at hand, um, was interesting. When I got a little bit older, um, as a teenager, I think um, one of the other patterns was, was travel. I loved to travel, specifically travel to cities. So I would get a part-time job after high school and I would save my money. And then in the summers, be able to take off and, and travel to Europe or travel to New York or, or wherever. And I loved traveling and seeing different cities and recognizing that each city was very unique and uh, was a result of, you know, the different, um, forces that acted on it. So, you know, cities that are on the ocean are different than cities that are on rivers. Um, cities that were built in the mid in medieval times are different than cities that were built after the car was invented. And uh so I think that was one the those are the two main things. I think a child like kid Monica loved building stuff. Um teenage Monica loved traveling to cities.
0: I love that. So you know you had that calling really early on it seems like and I often find that those little little nudges, you know early days in our lives that we sometimes often ignore are exactly where you know some of our true passions and maybe even purpose lies so I love that you kind of had that and followed that so so tell us tell us a bit more about your journey then from high school all the way to before starting ratio city and and what was the path that you took
1: Mm -hmm. so when i was traveling again as a teenager we uh back back in the olden days we used to have cameras that actually had film in them and so i would take photos on my trips and the photos inevitably ended up being of buildings and i would get up really early in the mornings to take photos of buildings without any people in them um and in high school i was i was pretty strong in math and uh also strong in, in art i could draw quite competently and so my guidance counselor told me I should be an architect and again it it, it seemed to match the stuff that I was interested in when I was traveling Um, this fascination with cities and again how buildings make up cities Um, and so I studied architecture at the University of Waterloo and it was a great program Um, it was definitely sort of a classical education Um, but most importantly for me was it was a co-op so we Interchanged terms, you know, d- doing learning and studio, uh, classes, uh, on campus with terms where we would actually go out and work in the field. And so I was able to combine those passions, uh, travel and cities and architecture and get co-op jobs all over, um, you know, throughout my my university career, so I was able to, you know, drive down to LA and work as an Arctic in LA for a few months, and I was, I went to the UK to London uh, a number of times and worked there. Uh, we had a term in Rome, and so we were able to expand, you know, experience ancient Roman architecture. Uh, so that was really fascinating. Um, and so at the end of a very long seven years, after you know every four months we would switch school and then work school and then work school. So, so seven years is a long time to do that. And I had one of the co-op jobs was actually in Toronto. And so I ended up going coming back to Toronto after graduating because Toronto was such an exciting place at that time. Um, Toronto's been you know, growing. People from all over the world want to come here and live here. And so for a young architect, there was just so much opportunity because there's so much construction. And so as a young architect, I was able to very quickly actually have an impact on the built form of the city around me. For me, that was exciting and really, really satisfying. And so I loved that.
0: Yeah, that's so amazing. I, I love that you got that real sort of practical and, and cultural experience, you know, so through some of your early years, uh, you know, being in some of the major cities like London, LA, Rome, like, how amazing is that? And then finally kind of bring you bringing you back to your roots and bringing you back to Ontario and Toronto. And I know I was in Toronto around that that time as well, and had moved here from London, Ontario, actually, but Really got to see from sort of 2006 onwards the the city skyline transform. So I think you know my perspective of it being in real estate is one thing, but to be you know see that from an architectural standpoint, it's it's quite impressive um, what what Toronto has undergone and still continues to to undergo today in terms of the transformation it's had in the last 20 years. So
1: um,
0: mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you: Were there any signs or nudges? you know, you know, maybe voices in your head when you were younger, um, or along the way that were really calling out to you um about pursuing a path of entrepreneurship. Did did you always know you wanted to go into business?
1: Mm. See that that's interesting because no, this this was not part of my game plan. You know, teenage is gonna grow up and be grown up architect Monica. And so now, you know, sitting here as CEO of a tech company that that wasn't actually part of the plan um but I think what I sort of recognized is you know that childhood interest in in building things and sort of imagining something and then actually seeing you know putting it together um I think that theme was definitely mm-hmm. you know consistent all the way through, and then at a certain point, I sort of recognized that maybe maybe just building buildings wasn't going to be what what I did, but maybe maybe it was going to be about building a business.
0: As well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And there really are a lot of kind of similarities to building buildings and building a business, right? They're really complex yep. structures and there's lots, lots of layers, lots of going on. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really do think there's parallels that can, can be drawn. So, you know, describe, describe to us really the situation that you were at when you ultimate, that ultimately led you to sort of pivot from that traditional path in, you know, architecture, to now entrepreneurship and really building a tech company? Like, what was the key problem that you wanted to kind of address in your own life by, by doing so?
1: Mm-hmm. Now, it's, an, it's a really interesting question. And so, again, after graduating, I worked in a larger architecture practice, a bit quite a bit more corporate. Um, after a few years, I recognized I wanted a bit of a change. So I switched to a much smaller practice that was just starting up and sort of grew with that. You know, so we went from I think it was just three or four people initially to about twenty or so when I left. Um, And I think there was just a a sort of I had gone through a life change again, started a young family, um, and there was a bit of frustration around work-life balance. Uh, Again, you know, being a consultant is is hard work. Um, You are always at the the beck and call of of clients. Um, And I think I just wanted a bit more control over my day-to-day. know okay life yeah so i think i think that was the the major um idea but at that point actually my thinking was more hey you know what i'm going to set up myself as a as a independent consultant and that way i can control my you know the the clients that i work with and the projects that i take on and that way you know i can lean in or lean out depending on my on my personal needs so that was the actually the, the the defining moment but again you know life is kind of interesting and then what happened after that was um, I'd started again my own sort of independent consulting practice, working with real estate developers who had land and helping them do feasibility, you know, highest and best use type of analysis. And again, worked with some lovely folks that I had known professionally for a while. Um, and then I was meeting with some friends over brunch and describing the kind of work that I was doing. And you know, hey, you know, you've got to do this research over here, and you've got to find all this information bring it all together, format it, do some 3D massings over here, throw stuff into an Excel spreadsheet and then optimize in three dimensions for density. And then, you know, Aaron, who's now my co-founder, was like, that sounds like a math problem, actually. (laughs) You know, and, and computers are pretty good at math. And again, you know, now independent consultant, Monica was like, well, if computers are really good at this, you know, I, have to, I should be careful because, you know, maybe there's an, some kids going to come out with an app and put me out of business in a couple of years. And then what <laughs> am I going to do? Um, and, and Aaron, you know, thought, you know, he actually had the skill set to build that app. Wow. wow. Interesting. Which again came out of left field would not have, that was not part of the game plan, but it was actually a really interesting idea. How can I design my own role out? Or again, how can we co- create tools to support professionals in the space to be able to focus on Solving those really hard challenges around providing housing um, or, or designing buildings in the city, and take away the, the grunt work and the time-consuming, boring things—the the research and the Excel spreadsheets and, and the whatnot—in order to be able to, you know, get more housing to market ultimately, because that's what we what we do this in this region. Yeah, so that was that's our origin story. It wasn't. It wasn't at that point. It wasn't deliberate. It actually came out as a conversation over brunch, um, yeah. describing what I was
0: what I was dealing with on a daily basis and what a monumental brunch that really was (laughs) like I think you know often some of the problems and that we solve in our lives are our own right and that's Mm -hmm. where a lot of the best businesses are really born from you had a real problem in you and then you were sitting with someone who saw the opportunity in it and just so amazing but i love and had that a complementary
1: the skill set again yes. like he could build things the, the way that i couldn't because again he had been also studied architecture but had been building software so his interest yeah. actually quickly pivoted away from buildings to, to building software um but again we're all builders at heart which is interesting
0: yeah and i and i love that you even said to to each other like you know, am I going to be out of business because someone else is going to come around and do this? And, and instead said, mm-hmm. like, maybe we're the right people to do it once you kind of saw what both of you brought to the table in that equation. So, um, I love that so much. Uh, what a great story. What a, I'm sure you guys will always remember that brunch, you know, going forward,
1: um, mm-hmm.
0: So tell us now a little bit more about ratio city and, and really what was the the key problem? You alluded to it a bit, but what was the key problem and opportunity that you really saw um, in the industry for, for a platform like ratio cities?
1: Yeah. So I'll start with the really, again, we were really tightly focused when we first started again, based on my personal professional experience. Mm-hmm. And so um, again, highly focused on the Toronto region, you know, folk, Professionals who were involved in infill development, and so what you know, this would be real estate developers, reeds, anybody who's looking at a parking lot and trying to figure out what they could build. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they needed to do was find information about land use policies. They needed to look at the zoning. They needed to figure out if there's any neighborhood policies. What was under construction nearby? What was going on in the neighborhood? What the councilor's position was on development? Um, you know, where the site was, how big the site was, what the key dimensions were. Uh, You know, would a mid-rise building fit on the site? What would it look like? How many square feet would it be? Uh, Are there other constraints? Is there a park nearby? Is there a schoolyard nearby that you can't cast a shadow on during recess? Um, And so, you know, looking at bringing all of that information into one place, because otherwise you had to go to 17 different websites and look at 45 different PDF maps that were all at different scales, different locations that were constantly changing on you, um, and then bring it into a, a 3D CAD program, model it up, and then export the results into Excel, and then you know, modify it into a PDF. Like It was just, it was time consuming. And so the initial product was looking at bringing together a handful of data sets from a variety of sources, but mostly, you know, city of Toronto, open data, um you know where transit lines were, where the parks were, that sort of thing, and then some basic three d modeling tools where you could drop in a building in three dimensions and see you know is it a hundred square a hundred thousand square feet is it two hundred fifty thousand square feet It's kind of like sim city but but for real life. yeah um so that was the initial. Product that that we launched in 2018, and we we've quickly sort of found our people, other people who were having the same problem, who were also challenged by this, um, who recognized the productivity and time savings that our, our product could bring to them. But we also then recognized that this was actually much broader than that. Um, you know, real estate is by its nature geospatial, which just means that it it's located somewhere in space, right? It, it yeah. is located somewhere on the surface of the earth. Um, you know. The, the cliche, location, location, location. And the value of real estate is not only its specific location, but also the context. So, what's nearby? Is it in a great school district? Is it close to a subway station? Is there a park nearby? What is close by? And so, this intersection between the data that describes your site and the data that describes the context around your site mm-hmm. is really interesting. And that also, all these folks in real estate, you know, architects included, we're using Excel. Excel is not by its nature a geospatial. And so how do you describe geospatial data using non-geospatial tools? Wow. wow. And so, again, you know, there are GIS, you know, mapping softwares out there, but they're really technical. They're very complicated. They're very expensive. And none of these land use professionals are using them. And so, you know, can we then help all of these professionals? And frankly, profession, like land use professionals, their job is to make decisions, not mm-hmm. manage data. So yeah. you know, we saw an opportunity to provide really easy to use web-based tools to manage geospatial data in a really intuitive way. So you don't have to think about the data. It just helps you make decisions.
0: I, I love this because you took a really complex problem. Like when you were just describing all that you did and all the steps that had to be done to just kind of get to making a, a decision, it's 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 a lot and i think people were just so used to just doing it that way and paying lots of money to someone to do it for them and having to to kind of have 17 different yeah. people that you needed to to utilize to get to that decision and instead you said like if if we can cut out cut out all that or centralize it then people can make better decisions which is really all that they're trying to do in this space but what's more important i think about what you did there is you saw the business model and the use case for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, I want to create some efficiencies for our industry and make this easier. But now it's going to actually drive better outcomes, and and there's value in that, right? it's yeah. huge immense value that that people would pay for. So I, I'll ask you. You did touch on this, but you know, you know, what was it that? What's different about what you guys are doing, and and what's different about the solution you offer? as compared to, you know, how people, how your clients were, you know, solving for this problem beforehand, or what some of the other things on the, the marketplace really are to, to address the problem?
1: Yeah, no, definitely when we started, the, um, our main competition was, was the status quo. Uh, So one of the the core values that we bring is, you know, helping our users identify sites for development. And again, when I used to ask people in in customer calls, hey, how do you currently find sites? Inevitably, the old guy would be like, yeah, I drive around neighborhoods looking for parking lots. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Literally. That's cool. That's cool. But, you know, or, you know, okay, the the young kids would like, hey, I go on Google Street View and I walk around neighborhoods on Google Street View. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, and so, you know, to be able to leverage, hey, if I know that my development objective is to find mid-rise developments near transit, we can now identify sites that are within 500 meters of a transit node that have an apartment or regeneration or mixed use zoning area that are also on one of the city's designated avenues that are appropriate for mid-rise development that are close to other projects that have recently been approved that are at least 15,000 square feet. Wow. So and instead of just driving around a neighborhood, you could actually just ask the question. And then because we've got all the data in one place and the data is structured and organized, we can now query that data and have a response in a couple of seconds.
0: I was just going to ask, like how quickly does that turn around? Is, is it literally you put in the search and click a button and it <laughs> pops out? Wow.
1: Really complicated question, you know, maybe 30 seconds. But like if it's an easy one, five seconds. Yeah.
0: Wow. And imagine like, how much time you just saved people and, and for, for multiple different questions, right? Layers of questions. Love it. I love that. You know? Mm -hmm. So, so tell, tell me then how, how's it going? You guys launched over three years ago and and like, what Mm -hmm. have you learned and, or have there been any pivots along the way?
1: Yeah, so again it's been a it's been a challenge. Again, I think building a business doesn't use a lot of similar skill sets to, you know, designing a building. You sort of have an idea at the beginning, but then you apply real world constraints and budget inform you know, budgeting constraints and opportunities, um, and you build a great team around you. Um so it's been really, really interesting. And so we, we did launch, um, yeah, in 2018. We were able to, you know, required a lot of hustling. It required a lot of conversations, a lot of customer validation. Um, and we quickly realized there were some people out there in the world that got what we were trying to do mm-hmm. and others that were just, that were stuck in their ways and wanted to keep doing things the way that they did before. And so we definitely focused our energy on the people, on finding our people. Um, and so we've been, yeah, we've been really lucky. Some of our original customers are still with us, you know, three and a half years later, and that's been amazing. Uh, so we've, we've learned a lot from, again, just talking to our customers and keeping them really, really close. Um, and, One of the other key things that we recognize is people were asking us, not just, hey, can I just see the zoning information, whatever, but, hey, I've got a portfolio of sites. Can I see my data on Ratio City? And So um, we started working with CreateTO, that is the organization that manages the city of Toronto's real estate portfolio. And so they had a problem where they they needed to find sites for affordable housing to to support the mayor's objectives. Um, And so, hey, how can we combine the data that Ratio City has with the data that CreateTO has. And so we were able to bring data about CreateTO's portfolio onto Ratio City in a very private and secure way, such that they could then identify sites within their own portfolio that met all that other criteria that they were looking for as well. And so for us, that was really interesting. We came up with a couple of other use cases that were similar. We recognized that the users that brought their data with them to Ratio City were way more engaged. They logged in with a higher frequency. Mm-hmm. They ran more searches. They did more analysis. And so hey, this this kind of gave them a superpower that they didn't have before. Um, And so right now we're focusing on building out those kind of superpowers for other people as well. So now anybody who's got information about their own portfolio can upload their information to Ratio City so that they can see all the stuff that's previously buried on an Excel spreadsheet on a map. So whatever Excel spreadsheet you've got, whether it's all your deal pipeline, um, whether it's all the apartment buildings in your portfolio, whatever information you've got, we can bring in and put it on a map, and then you can compare that data with all the other data on the platform. So we're super excited about that. That for us has been our our sort of major focus in the past quarter, uh, and it will be for for the next couple of quarters.
0: I love it. Like, I feel like anytime you can render Excel redundant in the business, you've got something. You're really on to <laughs> something because, you know, everybody is just so tired of Excel. But, you know, finding a way to take that data and make it user friendly, right? And to listen to your customers as you've done to say, well, what, what, how can we help them leverage the data they already have? Like, what a, what a great insight. Like I, and I'm, I'm assuming there'll be so many more of those as your business continues to evolve, but already so far I've, I've seen, and it's, it's come a long way and, and to be partnering with the city of Toronto and create TO is such an incredible accomplishment, let alone all the other groups that you guys are, are also working with. So I know all of this does not come without its challenges. So mm-hmm. tell me, you know, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've personally faced as an entrepreneur? And then also just, you know, that the business has faced?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think definitely as a startup, I mean, everything is constantly changing. And so uh, at first it was figuring out what, what does a CEO actually, do. because again, I, I went to architecture school. I didn't go to business school. I don't have an MBA. What does a CEO do? I don't know. I was an architect. Um, so it was, first of all, learning, figuring that out. And again, being CEO of a company that's got five staff is fundamentally different than being sub CEO of a company that's got 20 staff. So it feels like every six months, my, my role has been changing. Um, so that's always changing. That's all, that's always challenging. Um, you know, building a team, uh, identifying great people, you know, making sure they're happy. Um, you know, that, that, you know, building a culture that, again, personally you want to be part of and that you want to make sure attracts the the kind of people that you want to work with uh is challenging uh again learning about the the tech ecosystem there's a whole bunch of acronyms that again as an architect i didn't need to know um so it, it, there's lots of things uh again how to fundraise the business model for uh venture backed you know saas Startup mm-hmm. is fundamentally different than for you know a consultant-based um professional. So again, how do, how does the, all this work? And so it's there's there's always challenges. And as soon as you fix one problem, and another one, the next one's there. <laughs> the next one's there. Yeah. It's never boring. It's never boring. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely never boring. I can I can attest attest to that. But they say you know change is the only constant. So knowing that yeah. you know. Um, I think managing for change is really, really the job of the CEO. I, I honestly believe that's the, the the key job, and and especially in an industry that is constantly evolving, even though it's been slow to change, I really see that it's having sort of a, a rapid um, kind of evolvement of the business and the business model, especially with with groups like yourself coming onto the scene. So you know actually let's let's look to that and look to the future a bit like where do you really see you know the real estate industry and and the development industry evolving in the future and how how do you see it evolving actually
1: mm-hmm. um i think there's two sort of main themes that i have definitely observed for the past few years one is a generational change again the you know younger folks in the industry are eager to prove themselves, they want some kind of competitive advantage, they're not going to be doing things the way that they've always been done just because they've always been done this way. Um, and so they are much more uh, eager to embrace uh, technology. We've got a few customers, actually, um, users who were at com- you know larger established companies for a number of years using our tools, they decided to also start their own businesses And one of the first, you know, we've got a few customers who actually you know, signed up with Ratio City before they even had a new business name incorporated. Hmm. And so, you know, we were able to see that tools like Ratio City do give a competitive advantage to, you know, small companies who are starting up. Again, it's an expensive tool, but if it can make your team significantly more efficient, um, help you close more deals and identify opportunities that your competition might not, it off pretty quickly, yeah. uh, and so we're finding it is a generational attitude change, which is which is really, really exciting. So again, that's why it's so great to be able to find find your people. Um, and stick yeah. with them. I think the pandemic was the other major one. It was again, work from home was a major shift for the industry, and the pandemic was just an accelerator. Um, that again before the pandemic we used to go to in-person like demos our sales calls you know we would traipse up to every single office tower we would go up to people's boardrooms we'd plug our laptops in we'd do our (laughs) our show and tell and that was just accepted because that's the way it was Mm -hmm. Um, but everyone had to pivot to to working from home and so not only did their 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 tools that they needed to use on their day-to-day and on day-to-day basis to support their day-to-day work had to work Remotely, they couldn't go to that big blue binder from nineteen eighty six that's been sitting mm-hmm. on the desk um so essentially they' started relying more and more on on tools and again, everyone's gotten much more comfortable with interacting on zoom, and so it doesn't mean now we can do demos much more frequently um because we don't have to travel across town in traffic in order to yeah. to meet people and and I think people are starting to recognize that yes, digital tools make the information accessible from anywhere or anywhere mm-hmm. for anyone yeah.
0: Absolutely. I, I loved so much of what you just said there. First, especially that the comment around uh, finding your people. And I always find that the entrepreneurs support the entrepreneurs. So I love that you had people signing up for your, your service before they had even incorporated. I actually know three groups of people who left corporate you know develop, uh, real estate development jobs to start their own firms i'm sure there some of them are probably your clients that that you're mentioning interestingly uh, we won't we won't name names but name it. Nope. yeah um but then i think this this idea like it's so funny when you explained how we used to do it and you know go into a meeting and set up you know our laptop and 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 now we can quickly jump on a zoom and 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 solve for these things and buildings can still be built and cities can still you know, be, be developed even in this new era when I think we really thought, especially in the real estate industry, that all of it has to be done in person. Reality is not all of it has to be done in person and and we're learning and, and growing through that now um, and just figuring out what actually does need to, to happen in, in person. So, you know, with following that, the the pandemic, how are you really seeing that, you know, pe- how are people evaluating new developments differently in this now post-pandemic or I don't know where we're at, what we're supposed to call it anymore. But yeah. how are people evaluating new developments differently?
1: Um, I mean, I think the thing that has definitely been apparent is there's even more scarcity now for mm. for land, for, for developable sites. Um, again, housing affordability has been a headline for, I can't remember how long, but it definitely has um, reached, I think, fever pitch in, yeah. you know, it, w- within society in general. This is something that is top of mind uh, for any, you know, l- any level of, uh, of government. Uh, everyone's trying to solve for it. And so I think for what we have observed is affordability in general, you know, land costs keep going up, development charges keep going up. There's no way to make housing more affordable without some of these costs being being reined in or again the processes to get land rezoned you know to make them easier to make them faster um and i I think also because there is such an interest in coming up with innovative solutions um there are some people doing really interesting things and so you know the city you know they they recognize they have a problem and they they are committed to finding a solution. They have started, you know, new groups to try to encourage, you know, affordable housing projects to make it through the approvals process faster. So, you know, C2K is is definitely committed to to trying to do things differently. Uh, we've actually been shortlisted as part of the CMHC uh housing supply challenge. Um there they did a, a round specifically focusing on um pre-development processes. And so again, we're working with them to propose, you know, digital tools for for data aggregation and data notification and digital collaboration. So how can we get housing providers and municipalities and the data that both of them need all in one place and get them to all talk to each other within a digital platform? So that everyone can have the information that they need in order to reduce the, the back and forth that's constantly you know back or, you know mm-hmm. required as part of this process, and to just to make the whole approve the entitlements approvals process smoother. Um, so we're we're super excited about that. And again, there seems to be appetite for mm-hmm. for innovative new solutions.
0: I love that. Like it's so amazing that you're sitting right into what is you know in Toronto and in Canada really one of the biggest yeah. problems that we're facing right now. And, you know, a tool like Ratio City actually really helps to streamline the decision-making process, which brings down costs in some ways for people, but also expedites the process, right? So mm. to be able to be right in the heart of, you know, the big problems that our city is facing, like you, you should really feel, you know, quite proud of that. I think it's it's quite amazing to see that you're doing I mean, that. sometimes
1: I feel like I'm a bit naive um, because I do really fundamentally be, believe that you know, with additional data transparency, you know, we can bring, we, we, we can change things. Like you can't change what you can't measure. So the first thing is okay. making sure that this information is available to the professionals that need it. Um, and that we can then measure progress because it's very hard to measure progress. Again, there's lots of policies that are coming out, but how are these actually, these policies actually impacting built like actual buildings that are actually built in three dimensions in a physical spot place in, in space you know five years down the road and it's really hard to connect the dots because the data is very fragmented and siloed um and so just starting to think about how to connect all these things and again for folks who are not data managers but who just need access to this information in a really easy to use and intuitive format um that's where we want to position
0: ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Like the transparency, the accessibility, the usability, the measurability, those are all really key things and and like you said, like not all of us need to know all the technical things. Often the people in charge of some of our city building don't, right? But they do need to to be able to access things to make quick decisions. So, I really love that. Um, you know, speaking about you kind of the future and and looking in kind of five years, 10 years from now, where do you really see Ratio City and how are you guys planning to kind of continue to expand and, and grow
1: as the years, mm-hmm. years come? No, you know, I'm always cautious about making predictions. Yeah. So I think the only way to think about this question is, you know, if, if in order to look forward, you have to look back. So if I think about where we, well, we didn't exist five years ago. So uh, again, in my mind, I could not have imagined where we are right now five years ago and so just sort of taking that in my mind i can't imagine where we're going to be five years from now but you know if i were to sort of daydream and again imagine a potential future um you know i would love for ratio city to be able to you know connect all sorts of different kinds of people with the data about the places that matter to them and again it could be any kind of place you know so you know, if you are a young house hunter and you have a collection of sites, like built, uh, houses that you're interested in or apartments that you're looking at, you know, maybe you've got an a Excel spreadsheet somewhere of all the, the, the apartments that you've looked at. Maybe you want to see that on a map. Mm. You know, maybe you're an environmental scientist who's looking at site contamination across you know, northern Ontario and you just need to be able to drop that information on a map and see how it compares with wells or records of site conditions or, or, you know, a number of other, there is so many opportunities. And again, all of us, wow. you know, we are human beings who exist, you know, when we're not on Zoom, we do exist in three dimensions, and we we move through places. And so again, yeah. how do we describe those places? And so I think what we're really excited about is, again, how do we can, you know, how do we provide tools to connect people with data about places that matter to them? I
0: love that. Like, I didn't even think about all these use cases, but you've clearly thought about that, them. And what's amazing about a platform like ratio city, like once it's built, you know, with a few tweaks, you really can adapt it to several different use cases. My my father was an environmental engineer and he actually, his job was, was he worked for the city uh, ministry of the environment of Ontario and he he evaluated sites uh for contamination so you know the use case you gave care he's retired but he would have loved that because he was traveling all around Ontario and doing different things and like imagine he had a map with the data that just plugged in oh my god amazing
1: well I'm gonna just want to share one more example because I love this one as well Uh, we were approached by an artists' organization who have you know, affordable artist space across the city and they needed a tool that would help artists find spaces that they could rent and they wanted to find you know artists want to be around other artists and so canada arts council has a data set about artists wow. spaces and performing spaces and galleries and whatever and so they wanted to bring in data about their portfolio you know their artist studio portfolio data from canada council and uh artists also need hardware stores so they need access to you know other things and so how do you combine that's a really interesting problem. So again, how do you find dynamic spaces for artists that also are close to transit, have a great walk score and whatnot? Um, you know, so again, I had never thought about that as a use case, but it's super so fascinating. And it's the same yeah. kind of problem, just with different data.
0: Yeah, I love it. Like, and and the ability to visualize all of that, right? Because all of us yeah. digest information differently. But when mm-hmm. you can visualize it all on a map, that's it brings it to one form, not a whole bunch of disparate, systems where you have to check things. It's so, so great. So many use cases. Like I think we need to check back in, in five years and, <laughs> and, and, and see where the business is at then. Cause you're right. We really, we really don't know, but I, I love where your, your mind is, is going with mm-hmm. that. So, you know, if, if you were uh, to, to go back and and start your entrepreneurial journey again, is there anything that you would do differently?
1: Hmm. Um, again, I think, I feel very lucky that I, I so far in my life, I have no regrets, you know, I've, I, all decisions that I've made. Um, I'm, I'm quite quite confident. Again, I don't necessarily like the outcomes of all of all the decisions, but I think based on the information that I had on uh, at the time, I don't think there's anything that I could have or would have wanted to do differently. So that part. Um, I, I feel I feel lucky about. Um, I think one of the things that I keep telling myself and that I have observed in the past is, you know, I will overanalyze some decisions and sometimes you just have to go with your gut and that the, sometimes the, the first gut reaction is actually the correct one that you're, you know, you intuitively can sense or intuitive, you, you intuitively um can analyze all the information, the available information that you have and have a gut reaction, which mm-hmm. I think I, I should rely on more than I I tend to um, yeah. yeah
0: to to be honest that that's something I think that personally I'm finding comes with like age and and, and time yeah. when I was younger yeah. it was like a whisper and now it's a little bit louder and I can hear yeah. it and yeah. um but you know it's it the fact that you're even cognizant of it means you're already in mm-hmm. the path to to doing it yeah. so that, that's that's amazing. yeah
1: and I, I think also recognize that there's two different kinds of decisions and I think this is a Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos thing the um There's one-way door decisions and there's two-way door decisions. And so, you know, don't spend or don't waste too much energy making two-way door decisions because they can be undone. Spend all of your time and energy focusing on making the correct one-way door decisions. So, you know, a two-way door decision is, you know, what's the website design? What's the pricing model? You know, if you don't like the website design, you change the website design. Or if the pricing, you know, if if your pricing starts flying off the shelves, it's too low. So you increase it. If it's not flying off the shelves, then you lower it. It can be changed. And so those are two-way door decisions. And so you just have to try those things and just start getting feedback and then then react. One-way door decisions, you know, choosing a co-founder, you know, hiring senior leadership, taking on outside investment. Those are decisions that you have to stick with that are, yes, you can undo them, but they're much more uncomfortable
0: do. Yeah. You know, yeah. I hadn't actually heard, heard that. I mean, I've heard a lot of mm-hmm. things come out of Jeff Bezos mouth, but not that one. I, I love that, that actually. And I, and I think yeah. as a CEO, like, you know, spending your time to focus on the, the one, one way door decisions is, is really where it's at. Right. So yeah. they're the big ones. They're the ones that impact the business the most. And yeah, yeah I think we often get caught up in those two way door decisions. It's, it's sometimes easier to play. It's overwhelming.
1: In. Yeah, it's
0: easier to play in that space, too, sometimes than kind of just like, you know what, let me make those one-way door decisions and go with it. And I, I love that. I love that. And and speaking of that, I think it's such great advice. Is there any, um you know, other advice that you have for our listeners today who who may be considering an entrepreneurial endeavor of their own or, or are already on one? Any advice for them?
1: Um, I think, again, for anybody who's on the fence about making a decision, uh, good sort of similar advice as a you would get if you were contemplating having children there's there's never an ideal time there's never a good time there's no point waiting um you just you just have to do it and just trust that it will somehow work out again i'm a big fan i over research everything myself so read the books read the story listen to the stories but at a certain point you just have to have enough trust in yourself and build a um I think the other advice would be to, to build a network around you of people who support you. Um, both personally that have nothing to do with the business just to keep you mm-hmm. sane. And then also other people who are also at a similar stages in their business. And again, there's great resources here in Ontario for early tech, for the early tech ecosystem. Um, so join, join those groups, meet other founders, talk to them about their experiences. Um, I went to an event last week and I was talking to a number of women who were doing marketing at other startups and they might as well have been sitting in my sales call like the day before because all the challenges that they were facing again in completely different businesses completely different companies but it was all sounded remarkably familiar so there's there's no new problems people have these are known problems so just find other people who you can uh, yeah whose brains you can pick
0: I love that I really really believe in the importance of like community and uh, surrounding yourself with the right people especially you know as an entrepreneur because parts of parts of the the role can be can be lonely at first right so if you don't have other entrepreneurs around you it can be difficult but i think also you know that this path is so much more accessible and tangible and real for people now than before right like we you know our generation came out of school and and went straight into career and that's that's what you did but now if you want to become an entrepreneur it really is a path you can take but Sometimes you just need to change up your ecosystem of who's around you um, Mm -hmm. if that's the path you're planning to take. So that's really, really good advice. And I liked what you said at first, like, just do it. You know, at some point you just have to do it. It's funny because I've interviewed a few people and literally that's the same advice. And even for Mm -hmm. myself, I, I kind of go by a mantra of you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to be great. You know, yeah. and it's kind of the same thing. Just like, just go for it, right? So um, as we kind of near the end here, I've got mm-hmm. just a, another last question that I love. I really like to know what my guests are listening to these days. So is there a book or podcast that you can
1: recommend? Um, so a book that I read for the first time a few years ago, but I think I actually I read it at least once or twice a year just because I find it that valuable. Um, ben Horowitz's, hard thing about hard things um hmm. I think it's the best description of being a CEO that I have found um
0: wow. okay I uh, haven't I haven't listened to that one
1: well it's, it's a book I I read oh
0: sorry yeah sorry I but yeah I can yeah, to all of my audio yeah, b- yeah, books as yeah, audio <laughs> now yeah you know me being this yeah, yeah.
1: podcaster I love the That's audio right. form yeah, yeah. And I think actually, I mean, for years, I've been listening to How I Built This. It's um, yeah. always been really interesting for me. And again, once you listen to a few years of those episodes, there's definitely patterns in the journey. And so, again, it is the the classical hero's journey. And again, my classical, you know, architectural education where we, we read the ancient uh, Roman and Greek myths. Um, you know, the hero goes out and fights the dragons and gets beaten up really badly um it has to to go through all sorts of trials and tribulations before kind finally finally coming home um again it's it's the classic startup journey as well so. yeah
0: i love that i i haven't read uh or listened to ben horowitz's book so i will definitely check that one out yeah. with guy yeah. raz and how i built this yeah. it's my it's literally the inspiration i've had for mm-hmm. starting this podcast was listening to yeah. him for all those years and yeah, it's my favorite ones. So I love that you shared that. So lastly, mm-hmm. how can our listeners engage with you online and, and um, we'll add that to, to, the show notes, but just, just share that yeah. with us now. Yeah.
1: Sure. Um, so reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, um, Monica M O N I K A. I think if you just Google Monica with a K uh, at ratio city, that should come up. Um, mm-hmm. And our, our website is also ratio.city. We've um, got presence on Twitter and Instagram and uh, all the other channels Amazing. as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. We'll link all of that in the, in the show notes and yeah. Monica, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure as always talking mm-hmm. to you and I am very excited to see how your journey continues to evolve and, and hopefully have you back on here five cool. years when we'll be talking about all these different use cases of, of racial city. So thank you again for Excellent. joining us. Thanks so much. It's fun. Yeah. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Futura Talks. I hope it has left you inspired and motivated to pursue your dreams, find your calling and follow your heart in your life and business. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean so much to me if you would consider leaving a review and, better yet, sharing this episode with someone who will be inspired to start building their own Futura. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and I will see you next week.